welcome to Life on the Brink, a lovely little place filled with inspiration and creativity that is dedicated to enjoying life one day at a time. I'm Anna, and together we're exploring the beautiful things in this world that fascinate us, and often discovering something new. Welcome to episode 71 of Life on the Brink. Hello, how are you doing? Happy Thursday to you. I hope you're doing well. I am doing well, but there's a lot going on <laughs> right now um, that hopefully we'll, uh, I'll be able to share about soon enough, but there's some projects underway that are a little up in the air at the moment, but I'm doing my best to try and uh, take it each day as it comes. That's what this podcast is all about. So even if you are also in a bit of a transition or a hectic time or a project or a deadline, I hope that this episode will be a little bit of a respite and a bit of fun. Also, if you listened to last week's episode, I just want to give an update. I have collected all of the ingredients for fire cider. I managed to find horseradish and turmeric at Whole Foods. Um, although my mom told me she did find turmeric this week also at the international market that's close to us. So I'll look there next time. But now I'm just looking for a big jug, um, like a big jar that I can make all of this stuff in. So details to come. We'll see how it goes, but I'm very excited. Horseradish is a gnarly looking thing, but I'm ready for all of the the spicy immune boosting <laughs> liquids. But today's episode is going to be about books and specifically those books that are often categorized, at least at Barnes and Noble, as food writing. And I have read many of these books and I have recommendations. And especially I feel in the autumn, even if you are not as much of an avid reader, I feel like it becomes a more appropriate hobby, even more so, because whether it's in the sun, in the mid-afternoon, you go outside, find a tree or something, it's a very autumnal activity. Sometimes it's nice first thing in the morning with a cup of tea or, you know, layering up at the end of the day, either on the couch or in the bed, and just getting a few pages in. It's almost like a, a luxurious activity, and I think that it feels more so that way in the colder months. So what do I mean by food writing? If you're confused by this, it basically just means um, it's not a cookbook, although some of these do include recipes, but it's a very niche sort of category that is sort of like memoirs of either chef memoirs or people cataloging their own lives as it pertains to their memories and culture and food. And then there's also some fiction that's going to be throughout this uh, list as well that are all sort of in the restauranty or cooking or that sort of realm. And these are my kryptonite, especially when they're combined with either family or with travel, as you'll see in this in this list. 
I feel like these are the some of the most comforting reads as well. So I feel like this is a perfect autumn sort of um, cozy book recommendation list, um, especially since, you know, I feel like we need a little bit more of uh, creativity in the kitchen. I feel like autumn either brings like a bit of a slump, like what do I do now? Or in the case of soups, a sort of reinvigoration. So um, these books have always really inspired me um, in the kitchen and in life. It's just a very colorful way of looking um, at life through these different lenses and also brings a new surge of creativity into the kitchen, in my experience. So I have some recommendations for you today. Two of them, as I will uh, discuss later, I have not read yet, but I've bought them <laughs> or have been given them and I have the copies and I will hopefully read them in this chilly season because they sound just as delicious. Get ready for all of the um, <laughs> culinary puns. <laughs> um, and I hope that one or two or three of these, you know, spark your attention and can give you something fun and cozy to put on your TBR. So before we get into it, go ahead and make yourself a cup of tea, get nice and cozy. I will tell you what I've been doing lately. So if you recall, last episode, I shared a recipe for this ginger tea that I've been making, which is super spicy gingery, and I've been drinking it mostly cold. But this week, I have been filling up my mug maybe like two-thirds of the way with this ginger tea that's chilled, and then I'll top it. I got some like local apple cider. I, it's relatively local anyway. <laughs> and it's just made of like apples, you know, the very simplest one. So I'll top the the mug, like the top third or so with apple cider. Then I'll plop a cinnamon stick in there and microwave it. <laughs> and the result is this gingery, appley cider tea. And it is fantastic. So <laughs> whether or not you have um, cider involved, go ahead and get yourself something warm and I'll take a sip and then we'll jump into this book list. Okay, so here we go. These are 10 book recommendations in the realm of food writing. I haven't decided what I'm going to call this episode yet because I'm... <laughs> Right now, the tentative title is Food Books, but that's not going to work. <laughs> okay, so I've categorized them into three different categories, the first of which is chef memoirs. So while there are different kinds of memoirs, as you'll see later in a different category, these are specific to chefs, people who have made their living either um, in the kitchens or in cookbook writing or whatever. And I've got four of them that I've read over several years. And let's start with the Holy Grail, shall we? Number one, My Life in France by Julia Child. <laughs> and Alex Prudhomme, uh, that's my guess. And he was Julia Child's nephew. So this was, this is, this book is written from Julia Child's perspective. It was written by her with the help of her, of her nephew during the end of Julia's life. And it focuses on her time in Paris, as the title would um, you know, it's obvious. <laughs> um, and it's also, if you are also obsessed with Julie and Julia, the film, as I am, it's what her portion of the movie is based on, for the most part. That time when she was uh, going to cooking school, when she met 
uh, Simka and Louisette and when she started, it's the cookbook journey. But goodness, is it just so colorful and lovely. So remember, she moved there in 1948, and so it's late 40s, early 50s, Paris. And the descriptions of life there and the food there, it's just like a, as if, as if it's a special uh, genre of fantasy novel, but it was someone's real life, which is amazing. And it's just fascinating to read more about that time in Julia's life. And then also uh, when they moved from France to Germany and to Norway, there's a bit of that as well. But honestly, it is delightful, though I don't think it's one that you can just fly through. It kind of takes a while to, you know, digest here and there, but totally worth it. If you are at all interested, go for it. It's such a lovely book. All right, the next chef on this list is Chef Marcus Samuelson, and his book is called Yes, Chef which is hilarious if you've ever, you know, I, I knew Marcus Samuelson from being, uh, he was a judge or I suppose is a judge on Chopped. And I found the title of this book like very apt because sometimes on Chopped, people would try to, you know, defend whatever they did after the judge has just criticized it. And they would say, no, well, I, you know, basically I think you're wrong when really the proper answer is yes, chef. And, um, they're the boss. And so his life, I I think this book is really fascinating. And it sort of is about him finding his livelihood and his voice within the realm of cooking, because he was adopted with his sister from Ethiopia by a Swedish couple. So there's like all of this history of Sweden and there's some Swedish food and all that sort of stuff. Then he trained in France and then he ended up in the U.S., and I think mostly in New York, he now has a restaurant or two in Harlem, uh, the most famous of which is called The Red Rooster. And he talks about that journey as well in the book and um, about his wife and going back to Ethiopia. And so just a really cool melding of cultures. And his story is so fascinating and so different from my own, for example, and his writing is very vivid, very colorful, and it makes sense. You can you can um, draw a parallel between his writing and his cooking, which is very bold, very flavorful, um, but not wild, not overdone. It's really fascinating, and it really made me want to go to uh, Sweden, not going to lie, because the the way that the cold was written about and the way of life, it was just... I had never felt more uh, invited to such a frigid <laughs> landscape because the writing was so beautiful. It's really a, a fascinating book, and I recommend it highly. That's Yes, Chef by Marcus Samuelson. And next up, in a quite a different vein, is this book called The Sweet Life in Paris, Delicious Adventures in the World's Most Glorious and Perplexing City, and it's by David Leibovitz. Now, I've spoken about David Leibovitz before on this podcast because, um, well, I've made a couple things from him, but also uh, on, it was like a long time ago, I think it was episode 30 something, I talked about my favorite cookbooks, and his was one of them. It's called My Paris Kitchen, and he has been, he worked in restaurants in San Francisco 
And this story is like a memoir of his life in his transition to France, where he, I think mostly now he is a cookbook writer and other sort of writer in his um, website and all of that. Very successful in that vein. And this book is so funny. It's witty and it's about um, sort of the culture shock that he experienced in the French way of life. And so it's sort of half travel guide, half food memoir. And there are recipes in this book. And I've made the chocolate cake from this book several times. It's very simple, very French. <laughs> and it's, ugh, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you're going to notice at this point, we we are three books in and two of them are about Paris. Um, but you know, now, like, it's it's always lovely. We're talking about food. We have to talk about Paris. And this book in particular, I'll say, really changed my perception um, of French people. Because, you know, if you are in the U.S., for example, I can't speak for the perceptions of the French elsewhere, there's a, an idea that the French are rude and they're snooty and whatnot. And I didn't know what to think of, of these perceptions, still wanted to go. But um, this book really gave a nice insight because he's also an American in Paris, but it's just a different way. It's not a, they're not worse or better. And I, I'm drawn to it. So I, I think this is a really good, fascinating read. And like I said, um, I've tried some of the recipes and they are really good. And the last book in this section um, of chef memoirs is called Mediterranean Summer, a season on France's Côte d'Azur, um, I hope I say it right, and Italy's Costa Bella, which is by David Shalek, or Shalek, not sure. Um, and I think I mentioned this book when I was talking about summery reads. So it could be good to read in the summer or maybe in the winter when you want to feel some summer. And the descriptions of food in this book are next level. Like, I want to taste them all because it focuses a lot on Mediterranean cuisine and especially the regional cuisines of Italy because David Shalek, it's he's writing his experience as a private chef on a yacht that was sailing around the Mediterranean for uh, like a couple summers. He wrote it as if it was one long summer, but I think the events took place over like three years or something. So the atmosphere is dreamy and some pretty wild uh, things, some crazy stories come about. And just like learning how, like people who work on boats, first of all, kudos to you. But this little yacht, the, the how small the kitchen, the stove, the oven, the lengths he has to go to to entertain sometimes crowds of people. It was fascinating. Very fun piece of like escapism. All right, moving on. These are, I'm calling it, the section is called cooking literature, where it's people who, um, they are personal memoirs as it pertains to cooking, but also their lives and how cooking and the preparation of food has affected more their personal well-being as opposed to their career, you know, so not chefs. <laughs> and the first of them on the list is called Lunch in Paris. Again, we're back to Paris. Um, a love story with recipes. And it's by Elizabeth Bard. It's her telling her own story of how she 
married a Frenchman, moved to France, moved to Paris, and established their life there. Again, the transitions and moving from one place to another. There's also influences of her Jewish heritage and, again, recipes in this book. <laughs> I've made a couple of them. There's a, a fig tart that is just wonderful. It's either in that or in the sequel. <laughs> so also the sequel, this is sort of a twofer. The sequel to this book is called Picnic in Provence. And as you can imagine, it takes place in Provence. So she and her husband and she also has a son. So it goes through her pregnancy and birth and all that. And now they have a child. And so these books also, in the same way that the David Leibovitz book does, it has a bit of insight into just observing the French way of life and the sequel even more so in like the French way of parenting. And they move to the south of France and open an ice cream shop. So, you know, again, these are real people's lives. <laughs> And this is another book that I think is just really comforting to come back to chapter after chapter, to read slowly, and to just savor it. So that is Lunch in Paris and Picnic in Provence. Moving on, we have one of probably my favorite books I've read this year. I read it, it was either like the first or second book I read in 2022, and it is the recent memoir by Stanley Tucci called Taste my life through food. So probably like most of you, I have loved Stanley Tucci since like The Devil Wears Prada um, and then even more so in Julie and Julia. And his style of writing really makes me laugh. The book goes all through his upbringing and his family and it's just so colorful and interesting and, and I can really see um, these places and these people through his writing and it talks about his career and um, his marriages and his family. And um, it's it's really um, heartwarming. And then it also focuses around Italian food. There are some recipes throughout this book as well. I haven't made any yet, um, but I own the copy, fortunately. So I will go back to it. And I just love... I do like some celebrity memoirs when I care about the person, and this one was like a really good one. I really recommend this book. It's like, I, I think heartwarming is the best word to use. So that is Taste by Stanley Tucci. All right. So now the last book in this category is one that I haven't read yet, but I have the copy and I'm very excited to read. So I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's called 52 Loaves. One Man's Relentless Pursuit of Truth, Meaning, and a Perfect Crust by William Alexander. So I think this is going to be really comforting in the winter months, perhaps, uh, but also autumn getting into that. It would be great now, too. It's an autobiographical adventure that's all about bread baking. Fantastic. I don't know what could be more lovely. <laughs> it spans, uh, so from the blurb on the back, it says it spans three continents, a backyard wheat field, two exploding ovens, one herniated vertebra, a crisis of faith, and a 1300-year-old monastery in his quest to produce a perfect loaf of bread. I am personally on a <laughs> an ongoing, uh, well, I haven't begun my journey, but I do want to be able to make bread, but I haven't gotten into that. So I feel like this book is going to provide me with some tools and some motivation to finally get on that bread baking journey of my own. Um, but it sounds super informative and very fun and um, 
lighthearted. I can I read the first few pages and I can tell that his writing style is not formal at all uh, in a good way. It's just it feels very comfortable. So I'm looking forward to that one in the near future. And now we have a couple of, I have three left on this list, and they are fictional works. And I promise there's something here for everybody, you know? And if nothing else has, you know, piqued your interest yet, here we go. One of these definitely will. The first on this list is called Sous Chef, 24 Hours on the Line by Michael Gibney. And this is a fascinating book because it's written as... A fictional story and I love that it is written in second person so it says you walk to the kitchen you do all of this stuff it's as if you are the protagonist and it moves super quickly it takes place over only 24 hours like a one day and well that's as the title says but it's from the perspective of a sous chef and it has a lot of information as to how a restaurant kitchen is run and there's lots of other characters and side stories and how the kitchen operates and what's expected of you and there's a lot of inner monologue and gave me a lot of interesting things to ponder in regard to ambition and career and life and priorities it's I think a pretty quick read it's fascinating and it gives me a whole another level of respect for those that work in professional kitchens. Uh, could not be me, most likely. <laughs> it would not, uh, like, it's such a difficult job. And this book really helps illuminate that. That's sous chef, I highly recommend. Now let's get into something a bit different. This is... Meet Me at the Cupcake Cafe by Jenny Colgan. Now, if you've read any Jenny Colgan, you know that it's kind of like Hallmark movie um, in a book. But I have read some Jenny Colgan that I really, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. This has not been fleshed out. This is, I can't read this anymore. <laughs> but I've also read some Jenny Colgan that I really like. And sometimes the, it's a bit on the nose, but most of the time I'm, I'm following and it's just a very nice homey scenario. And that's where this one falls. So, you know, it's basically the fantasy of you quit your job and you open a bakery, but in detail and with recipes and, you know, there's some um, conflict between characters. There's a love story. And of course, you know, the ending is good as they always are with Jenny Colgan and it's as sweet as they come, but it's very comforting. It's a very comforting read especially in the cold weather. And if you want, if you read that one now, there is a sequel that's called Christmas at the Cupcake Cafe, which is like, you know, it expands on it, but it takes place during Christmas time. So if you read the first one now and you like it, then you can read the Christmas one, you know, in a couple months. <laughs> and so that, that book is definitely like the, the most different from the others, I would say. And I only have one more on my list of food writing recommendations. And it's one that I also haven't read yet, but I know I I have faith that I'm going to love because it is Chocolat by Joanne Harris. And I've, I'm sure I've talked about the film before. I know Sarah and I talked it in, I talked about it in the spring movie night episode because it's one of our favorite films of all time. 
and I was in Canada. Actually, we found a, a really cute bookstore in Canmore, and this copy of Chocolat was uh, on sale, and so I got it. I was like, this is great. I'm going to finally read the book that is, um, you know, what inspired the film. So let me read some blurb for you. So in case you're unfamiliar with the film, here's a bit of the blurb on the back. When beautiful unmarried Vianne Rocher sweeps into the little French town of Lasquinet on the heels of the carnival and opens a chocolate shop across the square from the church, she begins to wreak havoc with the town's Lenten vows. Her uncanny ability to perceive her customers' private discontents and alleviate them with just the right confection coaxes the villagers to abandon themselves to temptation and happiness, but enrages the local priest. Certain only a witch could stir such sinful indulgence and devise such a clever uh, cures, Father Francis pits himself against Vienne and vows to block the chocolate festival she plans for Easter Sunday and to run her out of the town forever. Vian soon sparks a dramatic confrontation between those who prefer the cold comforts of the church and those who revel in their newly discovered taste for pleasure. So, uh, <laughs> this book, you can see there's, if you know the film, you know that it's a little bit different already because it's not the priest, but the mayor in the film that pits himself against her. And I'm curious to see how it ends because as one who, you know, goes to and loves church... <laughs> I still love this film because it is, you know, basically the coldness of religion or what religion can be. Uh, really, this book is about a power struggle and uh, and just simply letting go. And, you know, the you walk away from the movie anyway, feeling lighter. And I'm hoping that that will be the case with this book as well. And it's about kindness and um and helping one another so if that sounds fascinating to you please look that up that is chocolat by joanne harris and that is my list each of these is really uh it's a true comfort to read and i often like to read these books more slowly um like dark chocolate truffle pace and enjoy each chapter and I actually read through the recipes as I go and like I mentioned I've cooked many of them and they hold up so if you choose to check out a few of these books I hope they're just as inviting for you during this cozy autumn season and please feel free to reach out to me and let me know what you think of them because they are favorites of mine and with that uh bon appétit and I will be back with this week's little joy This week's Little Joy is outdoor movie nights, and I actually experienced two of those this weekend. Um, I was celebrating a friend's birthday with an outdoor movie party, and then this Sunday, my siblings and I surprised our dad for his birthday with an outdoor film projector, and I think I've mentioned, <laughs> I know I've mentioned that um, my family's watching the Lord of the Rings series in like six different installments as we go to a family dinner every Sunday. So this week we watched the second half of the Fellowship of the Ring outside. And oh, how nice is that to like have a chill in the air and watch the Lord of the Rings. It was such a cool experience and everyone was just sort of snuggled up outside on the various 
Adirondack chairs and whatnot. But it's that time, like right now, the weather here is perfect for it, where it's kind of chilly, but it's still not cold, cold. And I haven't really been a part of a lot of outdoor films in the past, so I've really been enjoying the novelty of it. So I will link the projector that uh, we purchased for my dad, and it all worked out really well. Um, I'll link it in the show notes if you would like a reference for it. And I think someone just hooked up a Bluetooth speaker or something. (laughs) And finally, before I go, here's an album of music. It is one of the most autumn-y soundtracks of all time, and that's of course the music of When Harry Met Sally. So I could go on and on about the talent, the genius of Harry Connick Jr., um, but I won't. Just know that the instrumental tracks, that piano is him. Like, he does a lot, and it's fantastic. So do yourself a favor, have a listen. It just sounds like autumn. It sounds like an autumn day, and it so fits that movie just perfectly. So if you haven't seen When Harry Met Sally, this is also the time to watch that because it's a very autumnal movie, and the soundtrack alone transports you. So I will link that album in the show notes as well. You can go to lifeonthebrink.live for every blog post that's filled with pictures, and there's also extra posts on the website that are mostly recipes. I am uh, in the works of developing another very cozy recipe that'll be up there soon. And as always, I love to read any comments that are left on those blog posts or for uh, reviews over on Apple Podcast. It just makes my day. Whatever's going on in your week, my friend, I hope that you have um, little pockets of rest and that you can read good books and spend time with people that you love. I'll let you know how the fire cider goes. (laughs) And until next time, you have a lovely week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Life on the Brink. If you're enjoying these episodes, please feel free to leave a star rating or even better, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. For podcast show notes and extra inspirational posts throughout the week, head to the blog at lifeonthebrink.live. And if you'd like a little extra dose of inspiration in your life, sign up for the monthly newsletter, which lights up your inbox the first Friday of each month. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, friends, you have a lovely week. Bye.